Now, uh, East Africa's largest economy, which is Kenya, is going to the polls tomorrow. Yes, they are going to be voting for their new president. And some have actually called this the most important elections in Kenya's history. We'll find out why. And apparently the race is so close on who will be the successor to President Uhuru Kenyatta. We know that he has been at the helm of, of Kenya and holding the title of president for uh, a decade now. To talk to us about this, including the U.S. Secretary of State's visit to South Africa, uh, Anthony Blinken, we're joined by Faith Mabera, senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue. Thank you so much uh, for your time this evening. Welcome. Um, hello, Tammy, and good evening to the listeners. Good evening, ma'am. Now, let's take a look at, at Kenya. What is it that makes these elections so important? Why is it that some are, are dubbing this as perhaps one of the most important elections in Kenya's history? Uh, I think this is important particularly because, um, as all elections have been, it's a high-stakes, um, very high-stakes contest, uh, particularly, and also because of the the nature of of the the, the candidates at play, um, both both leading candidates are well known. We have the long time um, political activist, um, one time opposition leader, and former Prime Minister Raila Odinga, who's actually running for his fifth time, and he's uh, poised to go on essentially um, a two horse race with. Um, the, the deputy president, current deputy president, um, William Ruto, who um, served as um, the, the incumbent um, Uhuru Kenyatta's vice president. And that's not to say that those are the only presidential candidates. There's, there's two other presidential candidates also, but these are the ones who um, it seems it will boil down to the contest between these two. Um, and I think it's important also to remember that this, this the messaging around this election essentially because of the key electoral issues at play. So it's interesting because there's a plethora of views regarding the central electoral issues. And it's interesting because on one hand, you have those who say that what's really, really going to frame this election is the bigger focus on um, economic management, issues of corruption, issues of integrity, and issues of ensuring that um, the economic policies actually trickle down to, um, to, to to the grassroots level, that that is what will be a defining um, feature. But on the other hand, there are those who, who say that essentially the key narrative that has um, engulfed the, the, the campaign messaging, for instance, has been this messaging of, of um, the, the idea of, for instance, um, Raila Odinga and his coalition pushing the message of um, promoting the idea of, of, of dynasties and, and the fact that he's particularly affiliated with Kenyatta, and on one hand, um, Ruto advancing this idea that he's for the for the hustler and this idea of, of promoting um, and, and, and ensuring that hustlers also um, have their way in, in terms of success. So it's that whole um, sort of pitting the dynasties versus the, the hustling mentality um, is also another interesting messaging that has come out of this um, campaigning period. Which brings me to my next question, which is the role of ethnicity uh, and what role it plays in Kenyan elections. I think it, it's important to know that historically... Um, the ethnic question is not one that is um, primordial or fixed. Essentially, the ethnic question is one that has been intr- instrumentalized to a large degree by political actors. And the reason I say this is because 
they, this election is also interesting because there isn't for the for the first time in in Kenya's political history, they they actually isn't a, a, a candidate from the Kikuyu ethnic group, which is the majority um, ethnic group in Kenya. So what this essentially means is that for for the the candidates to secure majority, they will have to engage in coalitional building and cross ethnic um, coalitions, and this particularly has um, implications also on how in a post electoral landscape, how um, for instance networks are framed and how um, the, 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 the gains from, from um, electoral wins are distributed to ensure that um, the, the, the electoral uh, parties or factions that delivered the wins also um, are seen to be, to be um, congratulated or rewarded for their support. So this bargaining um, tool is what very important and, and I think the cross-ethnic element also touches on the delivery of public goods in the post-electoral landscape because those who form part of the coalition will um, necessarily expect that um, they also reap rewards for, for their, their contribution to, to whatever wins uh, are delivered. So I think that's, I think, an important element to consider when you're looking at the coalitional um, building element of the elections. And when we return in just a moment, we'll, we'll take a look at that post-electoral landscape that you alluded to. We are in conversation with Faith Mabera, senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue, as we focus on Kenya. They're going to the polls tomorrow, and uh, in a bit as well, we'll also take a look at some um, you know, relations between South Africa and the United States. These are some of the day's leading stories. We are in conversation with Faith Mabera, senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue, as we focus on the elections that are taking place in Kenya. Uh, they go to the polls tomorrow. So before we talk about the post-electoral landscape, talk to us about Rayla Odinga. Yes, it is his fifth attempt um, at the presidency. What will make this sixth attempt different? What were his shortcomings uh, and why was there a shortfall in the previous attempts, do you think? Um, so earlier on, I'd mentioned how um, there's, there's a lot of dense research that has been done about just the campaigning dynamics in Kenya and how campaigning and even running a presidential com- campaign is a very expensive um, exercise. And there's, an, there's, there's some opinions, um, some, some perspectives that have highlighted that perhaps one of the, the some of the reasons why Raila maybe had not um, seen victory in past um, attempts is for a number of reasons. Perhaps he had not managed to get a hold of the winning, um, I'd say, formula in building together his coalitions. And, and in this regard, it's important to mention that this time his running mate is um, um, a lady. So it would, it, it's um, um, former Minister, Justice Minister Mata Karo, who's his running mate. And this is also the first time, if he wins, this will be the first time that Kenya will have a female um, vice president. And I think it, it's... It's essentially moving the chess pieces on on how he, he's, he's framed and built his his coalition. This time, I think that many are, uh, are warming up to it. I think the message also um, he's managed to grab the attention of of, of a lot of um, the electorate in framing his message as one of ensuring that change is, is delivered 
to 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 the country after years of frustration we know that inflation is is high um we know that there's also questions about kenya's debt sustainability um a lot of people have alluded to for instance the debt or to china so he's managed to tap into these issues and he's managed to uh, uh, for instance, frame or or, or or criticize the other side um, as being um, the more riskier element in terms of ensuring the country's prosperity going forward. And I think he's managed to tap into the very germane issues of the day um, in this particular campaign. That's one aspect of it. There's also other issues that have been raised about the integrity of previous um um, elections, the transparency of previous elections, whether or not there was rigging involved, for instance, in, in the 2013 elections, and whether he had a valid win that perhaps was stolen or, or, or um, interfered with. All these are questions that perhaps we need counterfactuals to disprove, but these are some of the issues that I think have um, sort of uh, muddled, uh, muddied his, his um, previous attempts. As far as Vice President William Ruto is concerned, uh, what are the odds for him? What does he have playing for his side? I think the, for Ruto, the main key element, of, as I mentioned, it's his primary um, sort of messaging around the, the, the whole idea of uh, pushing for, for um, the hustlers, the people who work from the ground and from the grassroots, that he is representative of that grassroots that has started from the bottom and are now at the top um, in that sense. That's a, that's a key messaging of his. Um, and also I think it's, it's the question of he's also managed to frame the other side as, and, and here I'm, I'm, I want to use my words carefully, so we know that... Um, the, the, the incumbent, um, Kenyatta, is also the son of um, the founding president. So he's almost tapped into this narrative that Kenya should not be ruled by dynasties, referring to the idea that why should it, why should power be sort of shuffled among a particular um, tribe or a particular um, family and that it needs to be dispersed much wider. So that those are some of the, 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 the grievances that he's, he's also tapped into and, and t- tapping into into the youth. But in saying that, I think when you look at um, exit polls so far, opinion polls so far, it's interesting because it shows a very tight margin between the two leading candidates. And, and also, interestingly, it also shows a high level of um, voter apathy among the youth. Um, it seems that there's also a level of discontent among the youth that can't be um, overlooked. Um, in this case. So the undecided, I think, would also have a particularly great, great say in, in, in um, framing the outcome of the election. You mentioned earlier on, Ms. Mavera, about the expectation of delivery of goods uh, in a, a post-electoral um, environment, in a post-electoral landscape. Now, we've seen Kenya uh, tending to be violent after the elections, or at least violence erupting after elections. How is it looking like uh, this time? Is there a likelihood of that, or or have there been you know measures put in place to ensure that that does not happen? I think in in answering that question, it's important to also appreciate some of the developments we've seen right across the electoral landscape in previous elections. So we know that with the with the the 
um, passing of the new constitution in 2010, it then set out the path to, towards devolution. And this devolution of, of, uh, of, of power um, has also sort of taken out the very um, antagonistic element of the winner-takes-all nature of Kenyan um, elections. So the devolution also of, of power from the center to 47 countries, for instance, has also reduced this um, very high stakes, very, the, the tension that um, sort to to sort of edge the country towards war based on ethnic fault lines. That's one element of it. But we've also seen how um, in past elections, and you look, and here I'm referring particularly to the 2013 election, where Kenya's judiciary has also emerged as a strong um, check and balance to 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 the executive power, um, and, and and also the the electoral commission, the IABC. Um, has also seen substantial progress in terms of strengthening its professionalization um, and its vetting processes in terms of administering the ballot. So these are some of the factors that I think um, count as positive um, in, in that regard. But in saying that, I think it's, it's more or less a question about um, also how, in yes, devolution is one positive element, but on the other hand, it's also created this idea where there's a lot of there's a lot of stakes at the grassroots level where we see patronage networks, we see how um, clientelism is, is formalized and how there's this almost race towards a lot of people looking to run for political office just so that they can have their turn to eat. Um, the, the kind of lucrative nature that's associated with politics. Just when you look even at the pool of candidates, I mean, over 5,000 people are registered to go on the ballot. And here I'm talking across the board from governors, senators, MPs, um, um, members of the, 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 the county assembly centre. We look at that, it's quite a large pool of people who are running for political office. And that tells you how political um, office is considered a lucrative entity. Perhaps it's a way of tapping into um, state resources. And here it also links to the issue of corruption, which is one, one issue that has bedeviled the Kenyan state for, for decades now. Mm. Now, if we look at um, Kenya's e- economy compared to its regional peers, uh, peers rather, it, it's really performing quite well in, in comparison. It is you know, known as uh, East Africa's largest economy. Do successful or unsuccessful elections impact uh, Kenya's position as an economic powerhouse at all? Or is it so ring-fenced economically that elections don't necessarily affect it? The elections are actually uh, uh, a moment moment of, I'd say, trepidation for for the region because of Kenya's um, positioning as a transport hub, particularly when you look at the, the Mombasa um, Habra, Mombasa port, um, which brings in um, a lot of the region's um, um, imports and, and, and ensures that there's cross-border trade across the, the particularly with, with the dependent landlocked countries. So whenever there's elections and with the history of how um, unrest after disputed elections can have cascading effects in the region, this is something that um, a lot, a lot of um, the, the other countries are looking to to just have this moment pass um, and, and ensure that there's transparency and that this moment passes peacefully and without um, a major event. And and I think that is what um, they're counting on, because of of just the the kind of linchpin rule that um, the, the Kenyan economic profile has on on, on the broader East African region um, also. And and not to mention, as, as I say, the spillover 
um, effect that, that yes, unrest might begin as, a, as an electoral issue, but it could easily, the, 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 the externalities could easily um, transfer over to, to, to the other countries be carried over borders. So this is also the other risk factor that um, neighboring countries are looking at. Before I let you go this evening, let's take a look at uh, one last um, story, and that is the visit of U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. He's currently in in South Africa. We saw a meeting with Naledi Pando a bit earlier on, discussing uh, a, a various number of um, you know issues. What can we make of this visit, and what are the the, the key areas of, of focus? It's important to mention that uh, Secretary Blinken's tour, three-nation three tour, will take him to South Africa, Rwanda and DRC. And while many will make uh, much of his, the timing of his visit, particularly because it comes after um, Foreign Minister of Russia's um, Sergei Lavrov's own African tour um, in, in recent weeks, some would say that this is the U.S.'s way of counting the Russian um, term offensive in Africa, and, and I mean that's that's up to debate. But I think what was a major takeaway for, for of his visit here in South Africa was the fact that it was also the opportune time for him to announce the launch of the new U.S. Um, strategy for Africa. And very quickly, uh, the key messaging that he relayed regarding the U.S. strategy was that. Um, the key message is, for instance, priority. There was a prioritization of, of openness, where the the U.S. noted that it had an interest in ensuring that African countries are able to make their own political choices. He also mentioned that another objective would be that um, the U.S. would be keen on partnering with Africans to close the democratic deficits that have fostered um, crises and conflicts on the continent. He's, he's, he's also mentioned that the U.S. will ensure that it promotes and, and continues its whole of government approach. Also, with, with reference to counterterrorism, he, he said that the, the United States would uh, work by, with, and through African partners. And also, there's, there's the continued emphasis on strengthening capacity of security actors. Other, other priorities included the, the question of climate adaptation, um, how the U.S. would be um, use financing to help African countries in climate adaptation and, and leveraging um, um, renewable energy capacities. And also, an interesting point, I think, was also the idea that um, it would also look to support um, infrastructure development through initiatives such as the Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment. And South Africa was a key, was a key starting point in this visit because South Africa is the largest um, trade partner of the U.S. in Africa. And also when you look at the volume of foreign direct investment that comes into um, South Africa from the U.S., and also, um, I think a lot of people also gloss over the fact that in South Africa's own foreign policy priority of pushing for the waiver proposal, trips waiver proposal for the manufacturing of COVID-19 vaccines, that the U.S. actually supported the, the, the South African waiver proposal, although, as we know, at the WTO, these negotiations have remained gridlocked in recent months. So I think this is some of the key highlights that um, we seem to see in his interaction with our own Minister Pandor um, and his presentation of the new um, U.S.-Africa strategy. Ms. Face Mabera, thank you so much once again for your input this evening as we focus on some international and uh, continental news there with the Kenyan elections uh, taking place tomorrow as well as Blinken's visit to South Africa. Ms. Faith Mabera is Senior Researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue. It is exactly five minutes